But I want to actually help us over the next couple of months. Together we want to do that, not just me. But I want us to value the New Testament even more. And I'm going to do it, and we're going to do it in a specific way. We're not going to look at the New Testament. How's that? We're going to value the new more by looking at the old. And so often, and I think that you cannot fully value the new without looking at the old. And too often people almost ignore the old and say, I don't need the old because that's the old law and the old testament as it is. And we don't really need that. And why bother with that? Because everything is now new and, and the old has gone away. And so what we often do is just focus on the new. But you know what? One of the best ways in which we can value the New Testament is by looking at the Old Testament. Not too many of you are incredibly excited about that, it seems. Because you're like, yeah, I don't know if that's really true and really possible. But you know, when we study the Old Testament, we start valuing the New Testament more. Because it's been proven that the new is concealed in the old. And the old is revealed in the new. I'll say that again. So the, the new is hidden. It's there in the old. The new covenant, the new promises, the new way, the new life is hidden there, concealed in the old. And what we find in the new is that the old is revealed. And so, so you, I don't know if you've noticed it when you read the New Testament, how many times the authors revert to the Old Testament. So the Old Testament is revealed in the New, and the New is concealed. And when you start digging deeper, you start to find it there. It's a beautiful exercise. And so that's why reading the Bible is such a beautiful, beautiful thing. And so over the next months, therefore, as we launch into our new series today. We will aim to help each other understand and appreciate the New Testament more by looking at one book in the Old Testament. And we go, anyway, the drums roll now. And it's going to be the book of... If I give you a two, what could that mean? Sorry? Exodus, second book of the... Old Testament. So over the next couple of months, we're going to be diving into this book called Exodus. And we're going to find just what God is speaking to us about life that he has for us today, hidden there in the, in the book of Exodus. And so I'm going to show you that slide, which is really going to be the, the way of us often talking about this book. The word Exodus, what does it mean? Sorry? Movement? To? To leave? Exodus? Where do we get? There's a word that we use. Exit. Uh -huh. Not exit, this holiday thing that the kids have when they're in private schools. Uh -huh. We're talking exit. E-X-I-T. Exit means you go 
out, you leave. All right? So that's really what it means. And therefore, when you go out, God says, and that's the whole story of the, of the book of Exodus. They went out from where? Egypt, another E. That's easy, hey? Easy, Egypt, exit. All right. And so God said, I want you to come out of something to then, that bottom line there, to be doing what? Drawn into something else. So unfortunately, sometimes we, we're excited about the exit thing. Oh, let me just get out of this. But you're going to go into something else. And so the whole book of Exodus is about this incredible um, reality that God says, come out so that you can come in. And so we want to talk about that, that as the people of God, there are realities of us coming out of stuff. Last week, Kilton did so well to talk about throw away, throw off things, which is in a sense also a, an exiting, getting out of stuff. And, and sometimes we battle with the exit thing because we don't recognize the power that's awaiting us where we can go into. And so we want to discuss that. And I'm going to just, as an introduction this morning, talk to you about a little bit more about the book Exodus as a whole. And then from next week on, we're going to be going into it and unpacking things as we move from chapter to chapter. All right? So very, very important process for us together. And what we're going to do is, is we're going to give you just a simple reading plan that you can go and read the book of Exodus. There's how many chapters? Anyone? Anyone? Five. There's 40 chapters. All right? And we're going to probably spend the rest of the year on the book of Exodus. And there will be other things that we will do here and there. But we'll probably spend roughly about 20 or so weeks on the book of Exodus. And I can't promise that it will only be that. But I think if we go through it and God really speaks to us about things, we want to also pause there and make sure that we take in what he wants to say to us. But we want to involve you, not just coming here and listening about uh, a preach on Exodus. But I want you to go read. I want to stir you to read, but I want you to, to read slowly, okay? I want you to read so that you can understand, and that in your understanding, you can see God changing perhaps some of the things that you have thought about and the way that you have think, that your thinking pattern has been about certain things. And as you spend time slowly reading, maybe there will be some changes that will come to our hearts, which is what we call transformation. But anyway, so just a couple of things about Exodus as we go through this book. It is one of the five books that who wrote? Moses. Good on you. Well done. Another sweet going there. I owe you. Um, Moses wrote five books. And those were? Those five. Hey. <laughs> it was Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Numbers and due to the economy, due to economy. Yeah, you guys, you guys read that wrongly in Zimbabwe. It's like due to the economy. No, no, it's, forget about that. It's due to economy. Okay. Anyway, um, it says that it really records the foundation of the nation of Israel. So we find in Genesis just people happening, lots of people stuff taking place, Adam and Eve and all that. Hey. But in the book of Exodus, we really see the nation of Israel being formed. 
And, and it's such a beautiful thing because in there, there are the promises that were made to Abraham. We see them being fulfilled here. And we take a lot of heart from that because we say, God promised stuff here. Hey, look at what's happening here. So if you're in a place where you're like, ah, God promised things here, but I'm not. Exodus is a beautiful book to read to encourage us about this God who is a promise-making God, but also a promise-keeping God. We find that the first half of Exodus, chapters 1 to 19, really talks about God's grace towards the Israelites and getting them out of slavery, getting them out of Egypt. But we often say that it's one thing to get people out of Egypt, another thing to get Egypt out of people. Huh. And so Exodus will help us to understand that God's removed sin from us. He's, he's come to get us out of sin, out of slavery, out of bitterness, out of unforgiveness, out of what has you know, really kept us in bondage. But we've got to believe that. We've got to believe it. And that's the getting Egypt out of us part. <laughs> The second half of Exodus, which is 19 verses 2 onwards to, verse, to chapter 40, describes what God says and what God's expectations are towards us, how he wants us to live. So he said, that's why again, Exodus, I've brought you out, but now that you're out, this is how I want you to live. And so actually, he's not establishing the nation purely because he's given them a name called Israelites or the Jews. He says, you will be known by the virtues, the way that you live. Who you are is not just by name. You're not Christian by virtue of just, well, I'm a son of God. It is by your fruit, the way that we live. In actual fact, in the book of Acts, they said the first time that people were called Christians were not because they carried the name and said, call us that. They were called that because they saw their lifestyle. They said, hey, you're different. You've come out of something. You've gone into something. This something new is who you are now. Yes, you're Greek. Yes, you're Jew. But you are just like Jesus. That's where our identity is. I'm not, I'm not Afrikaans first. I'm not South African first. I'm not white first. I'm a son of the Most High. That's where our identity is found. I've been taken out of that stuff. Yes, and I speak Afrikaans, and I can't no steeds like a proud man. All of you can't understand but that's okay. Um, so that's not my identity. My identity is not in my language, my background, where I lived, where I was born. Nothing of that. And yeah, I support the Springboks when they play rugby, and the fun of fun is really bad at football these days. I mean, sheesh. anyway, so. You know, you don't go back into that. But the point is, that's not who I am. I'm firstly a son of God. In actual fact, that makes it easy for us to be used by God because we can go anywhere in the world. Yeah, and our passports have a little bit of a role to play in that. <laughs> but the point is, we are movable because we're not stuck to a place. We're stuck and joined to a person. And his name is Jesus Christ. And because of that, we are pliable in his hand. We are movable. And he can do with us whatever. Otherwise, we're like, I'm, I'm born here, I'll die. Oh, it's going to make me move. You know? It's like, yeah, okay, buddy. Um, it's like, born in Gweru, I'll die in Gweru. See, I think that's sad, though, hey? People, 
Because really, I mean, born in Guerra is one thing, but to die in Guerra is another thing. Jeez. I mean, you can get over the reputation of having been born in Guerra. But imagine having, there's nothing you can do about dying in Guerra. That's it. You're stuck. You know? Anyway, that, I don't know where we got stuck in Guerra. Father, we thank you for the people from Guerra. Thank you that they've seen the light to come to Bulawayo. Amen? Yeah. And even people from Harare, but let's not go there. That's another ball game. Anyway, so God, God said, listen, the second half of Exodus, I want, to, I want you to show gratitude for my grace to G's. I'm extending grace to you. I brought you out of Egypt. But now I want you to show gratitude for my grace. And ladies and gentlemen, when we talk about the Exodus coming out of stuff, God says, I'm drawing you into a life with me, a relationship with me, where you need to express your gratitude to me. And how do you do that? You live in honor of the king. It's wonderful just to, let's just leave it at the Exodus part. Thank God I'm free. I'm free for something. And we'll talk about that just now. And so let's just look at the last part of Genesis quickly, would you? As we just go into, we've got to just transition from, from the first book. And it says in Genesis 50, verse 24, it says the following. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die. But God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. He's confident of the fact. He's in Egypt. We know that I'm mean, not going to have time to go into the story of you know, why they were in Egypt. But they were there in Egypt with his brothers. His father was there too, and his father had died. And Joseph was about to die. He says, listen, I know that God will visit you and bring you up out of this land because I know God. How confident are you about your God? We need to be able to make statements like this and say, you know what, I know all of this stuff, but this I know about my God. And declare it to your family, would you? Declare it to your friends. Declare it to people that don't know about God. When everybody says, oh, I don't know if anything's going to ever work, just make the declarations that you believe according to Scripture and declare that. Right? And then it says, and then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear. <laughs> He's like, I'm adamant. You're going to believe this thing. God said he will take care of you. Now you repeat this after me. You want to all stand and just, no, don't worry. He says, God will surely visit you. And you shall carry up my bones from here. Because you know what? My bones will be buried there in the new land that God has for us. He's confident that God will. How confident are we about God will? Are you living in the reality that God will? Or are you wondering about that? And do you doubt it? I don't know if God will. The, 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 the very sad part of that is sometimes we don't even believe that God can. Because if we don't believe that God can, we'll never believe that God will. And so why don't you just get more and more stuck into the truth of who God is so that you can see God can. And therefore make declarations that God will. Okay? And you know what? The truth sets us free. If you currently say, I don't know if God can ever do that. My friend, it's probably because, and I say that with much respect towards you, you're not exposed to the truth. You're more exposed to lies. And the lies are robbing you of the truth. And if you're living in a state at the moment of great despair, you need to get 
into the truth. Because the truth sets us free, Jesus says. Right? So this is what happens at the end. And he says in verse 26, So Joseph died, or it says, being 110 years old. They embalmed him and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Boom. Story ends there. Praise the Lord that when he is involved, the story doesn't stop. The story continues. And you need to take actual, you need to actually be encouraged from this. That when God is involved, the story never ends. And you may feel like today that your story of what you have hoped for has come to an end. It's been halted by stuff. Due to the economy, you're stuck. <laughs> but God's story never stops. Your story is being written by the ultimate story writer. We've got to believe that Exodus is coming because that's the last verse of Genesis. The beautiful thing is that it carries on to Genesis chapter 1. And the story carries on. That's what we read in verse 1. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt. Are we kind of going back a little bit into Egypt still with Jacob? And it's all the names of Jacob's sons. And then in verse 6 it says, um, Then Joseph died, and all his brothers, and all that generation. Wow. So now Joseph, as we saw earlier on, he died, 110. His brothers died. But the story didn't end. And maybe you will say today, but you, you know what's happened in my life is the following. That has taken place. This was lost. That took place. You know, loved ones lost. This took, you know, this happened. I haven't been able to. Not a job. Not this. And full stop. That's where my story stops. But our stories never end. In actual fact, God has come to give us an internal story. Eternal story. Your story will never end. It'll carry on for eternity. <laughs> and we're not going to all have a book about our lives, but the point is that your story never going to end. In Jesus, we have an internal story. Without Jesus, we also have an eternal story. It's just where is your story going to be experienced after this story here on earth? And it's only in Jesus that we have a story that will be written in heaven. And then it says, I love this but. This is how the story carries on because of the but coming in there. B-U-T, verse 7. But the, why are you thinking again? Where are you going? Jeez. Like, eh? God help Adelaide. She's, I don't know. What. <laughs> verse 7 says, but one T, hey? But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied. This goes back to Genesis 1. Where God created Adam and Eve and he said to them, be, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Promise fulfilled. Hey? It says, be fruitful. They were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Beautiful, beautiful um, realization of what God had promised. And so the story carries on. <laughs> I want to encourage you. Some of you I know 
more personally, more intimately than others, and I know some of your stories. Some of your stories include just difficult things that you've gone through. But the difficulties that you've gone through does not mean that your story has come to an end. And God's involvement in your life surely has certainly not ended either. And some of your stories include heartache and disappointment and frustration and, and great turmoil and, and even great sadness. But it doesn't mean that if we had gone through what these people had gone through too, that our stories had come to an end. God's still writing your story, my friend. He wants you to enjoy the continuation of your story. To be continued. I love that, eh? Here I stand, God. Whatever number of years it may have been, and it's all of that stuff, and God says, to be continued. Your story is to be continued. And he's continuing to be involved and wanting to be involved in your life and express himself to you. You've come out of and you're going into. Beautiful story of, of Exodus. And so the, the book of Exodus also highlights God's purpose of deliverance. Um, and you'll find this very clearly, that God didn't set Israel free from slavery to Pharaoh so that they could invent their own identity and design their own lifestyles. God set them free for a purpose. And the purpose was to become his. Before they were slaves, belonged to Pharaoh. God said, no, I have a different purpose for them now. I'm taking them out of to draw them into something else. And so the exodus was actually a transfer of ownership. You can understand this because it, it's outplayed today too. They were owned by Pharaoh. They had to get permission from Pharaoh, Moses did, to let the people go. He was in charge. He was the boss. He said, okay, eventually. But then they did not get freedom from this one to just be free for themselves. And I'll prove it to you just now. Because only as they connected themselves to their new Lord could they really find true freedom. And for us, it's the same. You see that the sentence Moses often repeats to Pharaoh, where he says to him, God saying, let my people go. That sentence does not stop there. Because it says that every time, or so most of the times when that sentence is used, it's incomplete because it concludes most of the time with, so that, here it is, they may serve me. So God says, let my people go so that. That's the purpose. We come out of to go into. It's a change of ownership. When you accept Christ into your life and sin has been dealt with, you come out of the slavery to sin and addiction and stuff so that you can belong to Him. Not to yourself. <laughs> no. And that's the unfortunate thing that happens. I'm just, thank God I'm free. Now I've got freedom. I can live for myself and I can live for my dreams and for my desires and, and my things and 
But no, the Israelites were rescued from Egypt for something. And so they experienced the freedom from to a freedom for. A freedom from to a freedom for. And that is the thing that the whole book of Exodus is trying to highlight. That God says, I'm coming to release you, Israel, and I'm establishing a new nation here for me. For me. So I've come. You were once in darkness. Now you're in the light. For me. Not for yourself. And that's again that suddenly that simple little illustration of the bucket. We we're thrown in there and we all, in a sense, lose our identity. Because our identity is not found in my own, but it's in his. An actual fact, then we become the church of Jesus. And we're all one. And so God set them free for a purpose. To see that our freedom from sin is merely for our immediate and personal benefit is very short-sighted. And it's very selfish. Well, I've been set free so that I can feel better. And I can have a better life. And the devil can, you know, be thrown out. That purpose is always going to be for his benefit. We're free for him. We're free from stuff. We're free for him now. That's why our theology cannot merely be built around what God has done for us, but why it was done. Say, what God has done is wonderful, but why did he do that? Why has he done? Why did he say to Pharaoh, let my people go? Why? That they may serve me. And so today, if you accepted Christ as Lord and Savior of your life and you've been freed from sin and, and that's a continual outworking of just, wow, yes, thank you, Jesus. I don't have to be a slave to sin. I'm free so that I can live for him and for his purposes and not my own. Change of ownership. Here I was in charge. Now he is. Now he is. We are rescued from our sinful state so that our new status could permanently Benefit him. Simple question I want to ask you. Don't have to answer me. You can just answer it in your own walk, in your own time. Does your redeemed state, your new state, as a born-again believer, brought about by God, not brought about by your own doing, bring him constant honor? Because it's supposed to. It says, you've been brought out of this for my honor. You belong to me now. Or do I still belong to myself? Thank you for the benefits. They're out of this world, isn't it? <laughs> and I'm thankful that I can now make my own call. No, you can't. No. We have him as our Lord. He set us free for him. That's why the two greatest days of our lives, of any person's life, is found in this. The greatest day of your life is firstly found in the day when you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. Greatest day. The second day is when you understand why. When you then live for Him. When the day when you found out why He died for you. So that. 
when you start living into the so that, two greatest day of your life, days of your life. You get born again, and you get born again for his purpose. Because I think sometimes we, we love the first one, other one we still debate. This one, yeah, of course, I understand. If I don't, I will go to hell. Who wants to go to hell? No, I don't want to go to hell. Please, Jesus, forgive me for my sins. Oh, okay, now I want to need to live for him. Hell, hell, let's just wait for that one. So the second day often doesn't always come. We still live for ourselves. What he's done, we accept that. Why he's done it? So that I can serve him? Maybe later in my life. Maybe when I have more time. Maybe when there are more funds available. Maybe when the kids are out of the house. Maybe then, maybe then, whatever. Freedom from sin does not mean that we are free to sin. Because I now belong to him. I'm now free to worship him. So just more about the purpose of our freedom as seen in Exodus. We see, just this is all just in summary. In, in Exodus 14, just... Quickly turn there with me. I just want to show these things to you. And, and we're going to obviously unpack these things more over the next couple of weeks. But in Exodus 14, we see that they, they had come out of Egypt and they'd gone through this incredible moment of crossing the Red Sea. And, and some of you may not know the story. Most of you do. But then in verse 30, we see this Exodus 14, verse 30, it says, Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Story of them walking through dry land and the sea covering and, and, and swallowing up the Egyptian soldiers that came after them in the army. And Israel, verse 31 says, saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. So I want to say to you, the purpose of their freedom was so that they will have faith in God. Have faith in God. So the purpose of your freedom is not just to say, Thank God I'm free. But it's not to say, hey, I want to establish my, my faith in this God who has set me free. And so the more you enjoy the freedom, great to do that. But use that as a means to, to launch you into getting your faith stronger established in God. Because who is he? What has he done? And then the beautiful thing, it's the first song ever written in the Bible, is actually the next chapter. Is, um, our freedom is, has been given to us so that we can worship him. Verse um, chapter 15, 1 to 21 is the song of Moses. Beautiful thing that he wrote. And, and then he just extended his thankfulness to God for freedom. So does your freedom, sir, ma'am, young person, does your freedom in Christ lead you to a place of greater worship? It ought to. It ought to. Worship of God should therefore never be something that we beg, implore, force each other to do. Come on, guys, let's worship the Lord. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like it today. I'll do it later on. Or the music, it's not my style. It, oh, gee, this guy on the guitar. No, I'm not talking about music just in, in terms of music, worship in terms of music, but worship is a lifestyle. And so we ought to, I'm free. I'm free. I mean, that should be causing us to jump out of our skin. It's incredible. And so worship is a, is a supernatural, natural response to freedom. So you're all free? Yeah. 
Yeah, I think I'm free because God has come through His Son, set me free from the past and my past. How's your worship? I don't know. Maybe you should just go and check again what He has done so that you can understand the why is imperative. Worship is not a negotiable thing. Worship is a response to what He has done. Maybe often we just forget then what He has done. Go and read it again. John 3.16. And so, worship is directly related to the revelation we have of who God is and what He has done for us. And if your worship, my friend, is limited, maybe it's limited because your revelation of God is limited. The more that revelation grows, I promise you, your worship will grow. And it's not about style. It's not about clapping and whatever. I'm telling you, I promise you, the more you see God through who he is, you read how many times there was a physical appearance of God in the New Testament, which was on the Old Testament, which is a theophany, what we call it. It's Jesus appearing to people. They found their faces. They saw him. <gasps> this is God. And there was immediate worship. There was no music. I just, just Jesus, just, <laughs> let me just get the PA system ready. Okay, now we can worship you because we see. No, it was immediate. Like, <gasps> on my face, face down. Worship my king because I see who he is. Ladies and gentlemen, get to see who Jesus is in scripture, who God the Father is, who the Holy Spirit is. And I promise you, your worship will never be the same. And then it says that we, we find in the book of Acts, of Acts and Exodus, um, that the purpose of our freedom is to trust him. And you'll find those verses there. That we constantly, they went through some stuff. They went through bitter water. They went through no food in the desert. They went through um, no water in the desert. They had to fight the Amalekites and, and they had to um, understand how to govern themselves. And, and, and Moses' father-in-law came to help him. So they had lots of issues. And in the midst of that, they had to learn how to trust God. God said, I brought you freedom to go through these things. And build your trust in me. And so when we go through, I mean, they've just been taken out of Egypt. And they said, oh, we had food there at least. God says, I'll show you. My freedom will lead to provision. Now, will, just trust me. The purpose of their freedom was for holiness. And, and then we'll look at, in chapter 19 and 20, we'll look at the Ten Commandments and we'll see just how beautiful they actually are. <laughs> we need to actually... Celebrate the Ten Commandments. And we're going to do that. Because we've been taken out to be brought in. Say, God, I'll honor you with my life. I'll not do this. I won't do that. I'll respect you through these things. And we're going to look at what it means to be free for justice. And, um, and then also just to walk with God. That's what they talk about in chapters 25 to 31. Just giving them practical. And, and many of these things are not necessarily relevant for us. But the principles are. God says, I've freed you to come and walk with me. And so we'll keep on looking at those over the next couple of weeks. I'm going to close just by taking you to the middle of Exodus. And this is kind of like a, a moment because remember we said that the, the first half of Exodus is the narrative part where, um, where all the things that God did for them are recorded. And then 
the second part is where God says to them, because of what I've done, this is how I want you to live. And so in the middle of that, tucked in between these two, we find these few verses in, in Exodus 19. And it says, on the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, this is a summary of now they've gone out. On that day, they came into the wilderness of Sinai. And they set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai. And they camped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain. While Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him, out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, this is what God wants them to know. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to, not to a place. What does it say? To myself. God says, I've done all of this. To draw you in to me. I'm jealous for you. That's why I wasn't happy that you were stuck in slavery. And I used Moses to bring you out to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Very clear. The central focus of the book is in the middle of the book. Where God says, look at what I've done. Now when I tell you how to live, it's because I want you to belong to me. But I want to share you, your mind. And so today, when we look at where we come from, Say, Jesus, wow, you've done so much, no matter how many years it's been. And if you haven't come to the place where Christ is Lord of your life, my friend, we'd love to help you, that you can come to the place where you understand that Jesus died for your sins. We'd love to help you. But what we do is we look back and we say, this is where we come from. And now we say, God, we need to go there. And it's not a place, it's a person. God said, I brought you out of to myself. And now I want to give you guidelines what it means to be mine. And so when we read scripture, it's not, oh, oh, I've got to forgive. No, God says, when you're mine, you forgive. When you're mine, you add yourself to the bucket. When you're mine, you love people. You serve your wife. You love your husband. You help your kids in the ways of the Lord. That's what it means to be mine. When you're mine, you say, God, not my will be done, but your will be done. That's what it means to be mine. He says, I brought you out to be mine. And so, if you're struggling this morning with being his, my plea to you is, Father, thank you for the freedom. Let me not squander what you've done. The most faithful thing that you can do to steward your freedom that Jesus bought at a high price, high cost at the cross. The best and the most faithful thing that you can do to steward your freedom well is to give it away and to say, not my will be done, but yours. I've been drawn out to be drawn in. I've come out of to go in. This is what we want to talk about. 
over the next couple of weeks to help each other understand that my life is not my own. It's his. It's his. So, Father, I thank you this morning that you will help us, Lord Jesus, to understand the beauty of what it means to be yours. There's nothing more beautiful, nor spe- more, more spectacular, more amazing than belonging to you. And so, Father, I pray for us as a church that we will understand that you've brought us out of to take us in. And so may our journey through Exodus, O oh Lord, help us to understand this beautiful truth that we're drawn out to be drawn in. I thank you for that.